for many months we have been going through the book of Hebrews. And by God's grace we have sailed well all through these 11 chapters and now we are in the 12th chapter. And in the last sermon that I have preached was on focusing on Christ. How important it is for us to focus on Christ as we persevere in our faith in this world. And today we will be looking at, uh, uh, we have seen first to three verses and today we will be looking at from 4 to 11. So I have divided this um, uh, message in two parts. In the first part, I have entitled Discipline the Lord's Work. Discipline the Lord's Work. And in the second part, I will be speaking on Discipline Our Response. What should be our response to the Lord's discipline. Once again, to remind you of the context here, we have uh, been seeing that uh, these Jewish believers who have been converted from Judaism and put their faith in Christ, and as a result of it, they were going through a lot of persecution. And the chief purpose of the authors uh, here is to encourage them not to turn back from their faith because of this persecution trials and suffering they were going through, but persevere in their faiths. And uh, one of the things that he highlights in exhorting these uh, troubling believers is on the discipline of the Lord. So today we will be looking at uh, uh, four important aspects from this passage. We will be looking at what is discipline. A lot of people have misunderstanding about the word discipline. We generally look at it as an act of punishment. But biblically, that's not the main thing. And also, we will be looking at the process of discipline that the scripture is speaking about. And then, the goal of discipline and the motive behind discipline. And in the second part, we will be looking at our response to discipline. So, let me first begin with what is Discipline. What is discipline? The Greek word is very interesting here, which is used in the entire New Testament six times, particularly in the passages that we are looking at uh, uh, in the non form. We see that in four times. The Greek word is paideia. The Greek word is paideia. And I will give you the meaning of this. You know what is interesting when you look at uh, these seven verses? From Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. Do you know how many times do you find the term discipline in this passage? If you have counted, including interchangeable words like chastisement and reproof and even the neuter pronoun, it. Altogether, we see that it is used 13 times. In seven verses, the term discipline is used 13 times. And uh, it has two aspects of, there are two aspects of discipline in the Greek word paideia. And uh, apart from these uh, verses, there are other verses that I would like to also show you. The first thing is, the first aspect is, and this is not what a lot of people think when they hear the word discipline, especially when the scripture is speaking about here. Discipline has two aspects. And primarily, this is the understanding of the word discipline. You know, what are the two aspects? The first is, 
the formative discipline and the second is corrective discipline. Formative discipline and corrective discipline. What's the difference? Formative discipline speaks especially about training. You know, if you want to win some sport or if you want to win a medal or if you want to come first, what do you go through? You go through training. You go through discipline. It is not punishment. It is training, education, and instruction. That's the first aspect of the word formative discipline. And the second is corrective discipline. Even corrective discipline, a lot of people see it as a punishment. But biblically, corrective discipline is a restoration from your fallen state. Restoration to God's ways from your fallen state. It is not focused on just punishment. In order for you to understand, the word paideia is also used in other two verses besides uh, the book of Hebrews, particularly in this passage from verses 5 to 11. In order for you to convince that this is not punishment, this is training particularly, you can look at Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. And we know very well, and recently my son also was quoting me, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Right? But bring them up, what does it say? Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in paideia, discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see here any punishment here? No. It speaks about train them, equip them, instruct them, educate them. The other scripture that we also see the word paideia is used outside of the book of Hebrews. These are the only two verses that we find in Greek. And that, that will be very helpful for us to understand the meaning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. 2 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. And after what after these words, what do you what word do you find? And for paideia, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Do you see here, both in Ephesians 6.4 and 2 Timothy 3.16-17, we see that the notion of training, education, instruction in this word, discipline. And one good example that I can show you is from the book of Deuteronomy, which is an example of training. How God trains his people. We see that in Deuteronomy chapter 8 from verse 2. Follow me carefully if you want uh, to turn your Bibles. It is very helpful for you to uh, look into this passage. This is an example of training. How God loves to train his people, his children. Deuteronomy Chapter 8 from verse 2. You see what the Lord says here. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger 
He allowed you to go through hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your food did not swell these forty years. Now you see in verse 5, the conclusion of this. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. Do you see when the Lord is talking here about, I let you through hunger, I have taken you through wilderness. Was it a punishment for them? No. We see that the Lord was training them, teaching them some essential spiritual lessons that they must know. Greek scholar Bill Mounts, if you know him well, you understand this name, a very, very renowned person in the uh, Greek scholars field. He says that, uh, Bill Mounts, sometimes paideia is painful because we have done something wrong and our Heavenly Father would not dream of allowing us to live in our sin. And so we are disciplined. At other times, paideia is painful because we need to learn and grow, but not because we have done anything wrong. And that is the reason I put this in two aspects. The formative discipline, which is training, and the corrective discipline, which is restoring us to walk in the ways of the living God. So please do keep this in mind. And now we come to the second aspect of this message. What is the goal of discipline? What is the goal of discipline? And before I explain what is the goal of discipline, I would like to ask you the question, what is actually man's goal in this world? Generally, people living in this world, and even Christians also, to a great extent, we say this is the this is the goal of people to make better or good people. Yeah, yeah, that's that's absolutely true. That is that is one of the things that people want to be, live a better life. If you ask me to put everything in one word, the goal of man, even Christians to a great extent, and Almost all unbelievers also pursue is that personal comforts and security. The reason why people are working is for that. The reason why people study is for that. The people go through anxieties and even depression is because their personal comfort and security is shaken. And whenever that is hurt and shaken, people get anxious. People get depressed. People get discouraged. And they pursue so that in this world, they can live a life of security and comforts. But if you ask God, what is your goal for me? You know what the Lord will say? My goal for you is holiness. My goal for you is not your personal comforts. My goal for you is not your personal security that you think that you will be secure if you live in your way, definitely there is security. But that security is in holiness. And that is why there is a constant conflict between what God does in our lives and what we think he is doing within us. Constant conflict. Why? Because we aim for personal comforts and security. But God surprises us 
always shaking these two things because his goal is beyond this and that is holiness. You see here in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. Twice it is mentioned. Twice it is mentioned. I would like to first show uh, from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. It says here that for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Now you see here. But later, it is the fruitful, the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, what is the goal of God here, if you see here? What is the goal of God? Peaceful fruit of righteousness. In other words, God wants you to grow in righteousness. You know what is our focus? If you look into the, uh, if you look into the tenses, you know what is our focus? Our focus is on the present. And what is the present? Am I comfortable? I, uh, am I healthy? Am I enjoying my life according to the dreams that I have? Am I secure? Our focus is always on the present. But you know what God's focus is? His focus is on the future. You see here what it says, but later, but later, this discipline is peaceful fruit of righteousness. It doesn't make sense when you go through it. It is hard when you go through it. But later, it makes sense. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. I love the words, you know, the words here, the peaceful fruit of righteousness. What we understand from this is that peace cannot exist without righteousness. Generally, man's focus, you put a two, if you put a seminar and there are two rooms divided, the first room, the topic will be on how to live a life of peace, how to get peace in your life. And the other room, the topic will be how to live a righteous life. Where do you think, where, where do you think most people would go to? They'll go to the room where Peace. Because even peace is very appealing to unbelievers, right? How to have peace in your life. Peace is something that we crave for. But God's word reveals to us that peace and righteousness are inseparable. There is no peace without righteousness. And God wants us to live a righteous life because there is peace in righteousness. There is no peace in sin. There is no peace in in choosing our own ways, there is no peace in selfishness. You know, that's why it says here that peaceful fruit of righteousness. You know, think about the runners. Recently, I was watching a race also. When runners run on the ground and they run the, when they run the race, when they hit the finishing line, what would happen? Do you see that? When you see that when they hit the finishing line, especially when you are first and you hit the finishing line, you will see that great sense of relief. Isn't it? Once you hit the finishing line, you see that relief. <sighs> that peaceful fruit of righteousness. When you hit the finishing line, but do you have that peace when you are running? No, it's very hard. It's discipline. It's training. But when you hit it, you get it. We also see in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. Please look at uh, 
um, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 9 and 10, which speaks about the goal of discipline. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. You know, this is one good way for you to understand training. Because no children will respect their parents for punishing them. It says here that, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. In their limited knowledge, in their limited time, they have disciplined us. Now you see what it says here. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. So what is the goal here? It says our good. Brothers and sisters, understand that. Our good. And you know what it says? Now hear this. When I read this, never in my more than 25 years of Christian life that I've understood as I understood when I was reading it. You know what it says? He disciplines us for our good that we may share. Whose holiness is that? Whose holiness? Where does your goodness lie? If you think about this, where does his goodness lie? Your goodness and my goodness lies in his holiness. Brothers and sisters, if there is no his holiness and if you are not going his holiness, it is not good for us. That is why God disciplines us. This is why, why God has given us commandments. Why? For our good. For our partaking in his holiness. So it is good for us to be disciplined, whether you like it or not. Because it is good for us as we share in his holiness. You know, I love the way when I was thinking about this, years ago I remember reading Psalm 119 in this context. And I just put these verses so that this man really understood how good the Lord is in disciplining him. Let me read Psalm 119 verse 67. Psalm 119 verse 67. You see what he says here. And this is true for many of us, including the beautiful testimony of Danny that he was sharing. And I believe that many of us have this kind of experiences. And I can tell you uh, in my more than 25 years of Christian life, hundreds of experiences like this. You know what it says here? Psalm 119 verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now, when? Now, when? After I was afflicted, I keep your word. Some of us will never learn obedience without discipline. And many of us may be. And, like, and, and I tell that many times I can say and go along with psalmist and say, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But when God afflicted me, I have learned obedience. He also says in Psalm 119 verse 71. Psalm 119 verse 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Would you be able to say this? Would you be able to say that? It is good that I am going through pain. It is good that I am having this affliction and suffering in my life. It's very hard if you don't understand the goal. 
He knows what it is. You know what he says now? In Psalm 119.71 he says, It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. That I might learn your word. That I might learn obedience. That I might share in your holiness. Brothers and sisters, what do you think? Is it good for us to suffer? Is suffering a curse? A lot of people think that suffering is a curse. Suffering is a punishment. No. Suffering is good for our training in holiness. What do you learn about God when you read this passage? We learn that God is holy and His goal for us is to shape us in His holiness. His goal is not to make you feel happy all the time. His goal is not that you would enjoy every earthly blessing. That is what we see the prosperity preachers saying that God has a beautiful plan for you. Wonderful plan for you. Your good life is now. Your better life is now. It's all about how you can live a life of security and uh, the blessings that you enjoy in this world. But the Bible says a different message. It says that our God is a God of holiness and He sent His Son because He is holy. He died for our sins because He is holy and He wanted to punish sin in His Son. And He saved us from sin because He is a God who is holy. He brings us into His kingdom only through Jesus because His kingdom is a kingdom of holiness. And He shapes us every day. God has a wonderful, beautiful, glorious plan for you. And you know what is then? He wants us to become holy. He wants us to become holy. That's his goal. Why he wants us to become holy? Why? For our good. Remember, brothers, sisters, it says that he does this for our good that we may share in his holiness. If there is no holiness... There is only danger and the schemes of the enemy and the traps of the world and the self which will ruin us. And we all have seen what it costs when we go against God. It is good for us to walk and live a life of holiness. Now this brings us to the third aspect, the process of discipline. The process. The first is what is discipline? It has two aspects, right? The formative and the corrective. The second is the goal of discipline. And the third is the process of discipline. And if you ask me, Stephen, what do you think? I say with all my heart, I hate the process. Really, I hate it. I remember a famous quotation of Tom Landry, who was a former head coach of the Dallas Cowboys, the football team. Famous, they became almost invincible at the, during their time. And his famous quotation... You know what was this Tom Landry's famous quotation? It says that the job of a coach is to make players do what they don't want to do. The job of the coach is to make players do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they have always wanted to be. If you want to get the results, then you should be doing what you don't like. I remember about uh, an interview of an Indian athlete saying that the coach took away phone for months. No phones for you. For months it took away for her. And she had to go through that rigorous training. No phones. And she got the medal. 
You don't like to do. And if you ask, God, what is your goal? What would God say? My goal is to take you through the situations that you hate. My goal is to let experiences in your life that you don't like. My goal is to take you through experiences and situations and feelings that you think about. Is there God? Why this is happening to me? And God is willing to take the risk of blame on himself. You know why he wants to do? So that you and I may share in his holiness. Because he is good. Because he is loving. Man's goal is personal comforts and personal security. But God's goal is holiness. And the process is what? The process of God training us in holiness is through pain and afflictions. Brothers and sisters, there is no surprise. There is no wonder. God has revealed to us very clearly in his word. You see in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11 what it says here. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 12. Oh, sorry, 12 verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 11. You know what it says? For the moment, for the moment, all discipline, all discipline. If discipline is pleasant, it is no discipline. It says all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it is the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, we, we guys, some of our guys, we go to cult gym and all. Everywhere you will see this quotation, no, ba- no pain, no gain. You don't like what you want to do now, but later, if you want to build muscles, I remember, you know, a, a, a person years ago when I was reading about a guy, uh, who, how he built his muscles, his muscular body, especially his hands. And he was asked, how did you build his muscles? You know what he said? He said that when my hand says no, I say yes. He counts actually when his hands are tired to keep down the dumbbells. It is then he counts one, two, three. It's painful. It's, it's painful. But if you want to do it, you will build your spiritual muscles as well. People, let me tell you one thing. And here is something that I want to tell you. The goal is very important. Please listen to this carefully. You will only endure God's discipline when your goal is holiness and not personal security and comforts. All the people who grumble and they are shaken in their faith and even turn their back away from God because of this pain and the insurmountable pressures that they go through is because their goal is not holiness. And even if it is, it is somewhere peripheral, not the central. You will only bear it You will only kiss the rod of affliction when our goal is holiness and not personal comforts and security. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, the process is painful. And you know one thing? God does not give us any emotional anesthesia when you go through this discipline. It's not that, okay, let me give you some relief and you you don't have to go through pain. No, there is. And it is good for us. To grow in holiness. And you know one thing? My great comfort and encouragement is God did not even spare his own son. Hebrews 5, 8 to 9 says, Hebrews 5, 8 to 9, you know what it says? Jesus, 
who as the supreme son learned obedience through what he suffered. Do you get it? Even the son of God, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, this is not punishment. When people go through it, learn through what he suffered. They think that he's the son of God. Why should he go through that? It's not punishment. It is, it is training. The Lord, the Father, he even took his own son through severe suffering to train him for obedience. And being made perfect through suffering, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, brothers, I'm taking you through a very, very important uh, roller coaster understanding of the scripture. Please do focus or else you will be lost. This is a very hard thing uh, that we struggle to understand. And, and I don't understand how this works, but this is so beautiful when I look at it. Uh, Hebrews 12 verse 3 says that, Now, since Christ is a source of our salvation and an example of how we endured suffering, it says in verse 3, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So what the author of Hebrews is saying to believers is that, if you are going through suffering and disgrace, look at Christ. He himself has endured suffering from his opponents to the point of shedding his blood, to the point of laying his life. He endured suffering. And now he says in verse 4, In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. You're not dying because of that. What he's saying is that you're not becoming martyrs in your struggle against sin. And what is the sin? Whatever takes people away from faith is sin. Whatever takes people away from faith is sin. In your wrestling, you know, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, one of the most important things that we need to safeguard in our Christian life, more than beauty, more than body, more than heart and lungs and kidney or anything, you know what is that? The number one thing that you and I should guard in the Christian living is faith. And that is constantly under attack from the enemy. Whatever it takes to take you from faith, you are not yet becoming martyrs. So what is he telling? Christ has struggled and shed his blood. You are not going to shed blood, so endure. In other words, he's telling that your suffering is not as severe as the Lord's himself. As the Lord's himself. And now you see what he says. Now this is very strange when you look at it. In verse 5 he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. Now he turns actually their attention to the Lord's work. My son, actually if you see in the context, the struggle is coming from people. The persecution is coming from people. The temptation is coming from people. The pain is coming from people. But the author is pointing out that behind this frowning work, or the, the threatening thing that you are seeing from people, it is actually the Lord's work. He is there behind it. He says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him, for the Lord disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. You know, when you read uh, the book of Acts chapter 2, especially when Peter was talking 
uh, we don't have to look into it. And he says that on one side he says uh, uh, that the people crucified him, put him to the cross. On the other side, Peter says that it is the Lord who foreordained that to happen. So people were responsible for what they were doing, but the Lord is working behind it to accomplish his will. Now here is a point that he's saying. Now follow carefully. In verse 3 he says, Christ endured suffering from sinners, the hostility. And second he says, in verse 4, believers are facing hostility from sinners and they too are going through suffering. Christ went through suffering. Believers are going through suffering. And now the point that the author is making here is that this hardship is the Lord's discipline in your life. Whatever you are going through from people, they are unbelievers maybe. It is the Lord's work. The Lord is training you. I love what John Piper says here. He says that what hostile sinners mean for harm, what hostile sinners mean for harm, God means for good. What they will, what they will as hurtful, God wills as helpful. What they plan as destruction, God plans as salvation. What they design as a deterrent to faith, God designs as discipline for faith. The same situation where the devil is involved, people are involved, even you are involved, God is there working out for our good. Disciplines us for our holiness. It's hard for us to understand. For this reason, James says, James says in chapter 1 verse 2, he says that count it all, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Count it all joy. How can you be joyful when you are going through pain? It is like, you know, a doctor taking Sean and giving him injection and telling, hey, Sean, be joyful. And Sean will look at him and say, give me that injection. I will inject you back and I'll tell you and I would like to see whether you will be joyful. It sounds like that. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. How can you be joyful? The focus is not on trials. If it is on trials, you cannot be joyful. He says here, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You will learn to be patient. You will learn to be strong and endure and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, he's telling so that you would be fully mature. Fully mature. How many of you are praying that, Lord, help me to grow? Not when you are, I'm not talking, but grow means because you are five feet or five and a half feet, you want to be six feet. I mean, grow in the Lord. How many of you, all of us are praying, right? All sincere believers pray, Lord, you bless me to grow. How many of you, how many, how many of you are praying, Lord, help me to grow mature? You know, there is a sermon that I titled long back is that we, when, when we pray, we, we pray to God for some particular thing. I, I haven't yet fully titled it, but the concept is that we pray to God to give us something, but say no when he answers. And God, we pray that, Lord, I want to grow spiritually. Lord, I want to be mature. And God answers it. He brings pain. And when he brings pain, what do we say? Lord, no pain. <laughs> That's what you prayed for, right? You prayed that you want to grow. 
You pray that you want to be mature. Yeah, I prayed for that. But I didn't pray for, for, for pain. And the Lord will say, you have to go through pain if you want to grow. You want to go, you, you, if you want to be mature, you have to go through trials and tribulations. There is no shortcut. There is no other way. That's the only way that you have to go through. I will show you three examples to convince you how the Lord is involved behind the people who are causing harm to you. And it could be devil, it could be yourself, it could be people. The first thing, follow me quickly. Genesis 50 verse 20. Genesis 50 verse 20. Right? We know this, uh, how the brothers of uh, Joseph has put him in trouble. They sold him as slaves and from there he go to Potiphar's house and there he was accused as a rapist and finally he ends into prison and then he becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And now you, I, I, I think when Joseph was going through all these things, this pain and betrayal and uh, accusation, he didn't understand anything. That is the interesting thing about suffering. When you go through it, it doesn't make sense. Only after you go through it, it makes a lot of sense. And even after it makes sense, again, you don't want to go through it again. I don't know what is the insensible thing that we often think about. But that is the fact of life. Now you see what it says in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20. It says that, Joseph, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it. Now you see that these are not two different things. That they were doing A, one situation, and God was thinking about another situation. The same situation. You meant evil against me, but God meant it. What is that it here? The evil that you meant against me. God meant it for good. Don't you think this is very surprising? What was people's motive here? You meant evil against me. What was man's motive here? Evil. What is God's motive in the same incident? Good. Good. I'll show you another verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. Come on. Fast. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Again, Paul is speaking about his persecution, rejection that he faced from people in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength. He's explaining how emotionally painful it was it was utterly burdened beyond this strength that we even despaired of life itself. Now you see what it says in verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He's trying his best to convince his readers how painful, how miserable, how despaired the situation was. But you see what he connects finally. He says that, but that, what was that? The sentence, the death sentence he had gone through, the despair he had gone through, the affliction they experienced in Asia. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Wow. The same thing that was meant for evil from people, by people, God is using it for good. To share in his holiness. Brothers and sisters, 
This should really teach us when people are doing something against us to question, Lord, what is the good you are accomplishing through this? What is it that I have to learn from this? I'll show you another one. People, now devil. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. You see what it says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited, that is proud. Paul says that. To keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And what is a thorn? A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. You know what is interesting? He is using the conceited Satan to keep fall, Paul from becoming falling into conceit, which is proud. He is using the proud devil to harass Paul so that Paul would not be proud but stay humble. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. What was Satan's motive here? What was Satan's motive? Torment. You know the word torment, right? Paul uses the word torment here. Harass me. Tormentation. That is the motive of Satan. What is God's motive here? In the same incident, what is God's motive? Humility. Humility. To keep me from becoming conceited. From self-sufficiency. From proud. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you are going through in your life. I don't know personally. But I know what I am going through in my life. Life is hard. You know, you don't know what you are going You know what you are going through. But let me tell you, God is in it for our good. See his hand. You know what should we learn about God from this? That God is sovereign. He is in control of all the afflictions you go through. No matter whatever your afflictions are, I want to tell you that he is in control. Things are not out of his control. He is in control even when they are caused by the devil or humans. Even if you mess up your own life by your own hands, God is in control. When I say God is in control, doesn't mean God is causing them. He can still turn that out for his glory and for our good. No matter who causes the suffering, God is in control of them and uses them for his glory and for our good. And that's the greatness of the Lord. And finally, that brings us to the fourth one, the motive behind discipline. The motive, finally. We see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. Now you see what the verse 6 says. What does it say? For the Lord disciplines the one he hates. Does it say that? No, he says that for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. What does it say? When you are going through pain, when you are going through afflictions, it says that God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? 
Now hear what it says here. If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. You know, when Joy and Joe were small, and I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to boast, I say that uh, I'm a very terrible, horrible, failure, weak father, struggling, and God has given me the grace, but even in the weakness, God was accomplishes something. They were so well behaved that even my relatives were surprised looking at their behavior. And they used to tell me that, could you please discipline my children the way you do your children? And you know what? I, these are unbelievers, right? And I used to tell them, I can't do that. They are not my children. I have authority to train and discipline my children, my sons. I can't do that for you. That's your job. You do it. I can tell you, I can teach you, I can help you, but you cannot outsource that to me. I can't do that for your children. Discipline shows that there is love and concern for my children. And you know one misunderstanding that we have to clarify here? A lot of people see discipline and love as distinct. Do you hear the words? He's a man of discipline also at the same time he loves. What are you telling actually in that word? You're telling that love and discipline are separate. If there is discipline, there is no love. And if there is love, there is no discipline. That is not the scriptural understanding. The Bible says that discipline is a part of love. In other words, I can also say that discipline is an expression of love. It is possible, it is possible to discipline without love. But it is impossible to love without discipline. It is possible to discipline without love. It is impossible to love without discipline. God loves. And the Bible says that because he loves, he disciplines. You know what is a common accusation? There is a book also I was reading. Uh, I was uh, looking at the title recently, uh, God Hates You, Hate Him Back. The title of the book, very interesting. And uh, the common accusation people have is this. You know what is a common accusation is that if God is good but cannot stop evil and pain in your life, he is not powerful, right? If God is good, he cannot stop evil happening, pain coming in your life. Then he is not powerful. He is good, but he is not powerful. And if God is powerful and it does not stop evil, then he is not good. He is a sadist who intends harm for you. And that's understanding a lot of people have. You know what the biblical reason is? The biblical reason is that God is all good and all powerful and he allows evil in your life to conform us to his holiness. He allows evil and pain in our lives to conform us to his holiness. Did you ever hear people saying, you ask people, hey, tell me brother or sister, what is the evidence that God loves you? They will tell, I've got a good husband, I've got a nice daughter, I've got a good job, I've got a good salary. God healed me from my sickness, and I'm doing so good. God is so loving. And if you ask them, they know, you know, what is the evidence God loves you? They will tell. I have, you will hardly hear the word saying that, what is the evidence God loves you? Suffering. Brother, you don't know what pain I'm going through. God's so loving towards me. Do you ever hear even anyone saying that? Never. 
But the Bible says that God is loving you and treating you as sons. And that's why he's afflicting you. If you don't understand this, brothers and sisters, you will misunderstand God. And you know what the Bible says here? How does God treat us when he disciplines? How is he treating us? His sons. You are his children. If God is hard on you, God is disciplining you because he loves you. He wants to train you. Now this word is very important because in the ancient Greek king culture, even if you have seen movies like Spartan and all, you will see the sons of the king. How they go through hard and rigorous training because tomorrow they will be fighting the battle and their life is not easy. So the training will be hard and bearable. Sometimes the sons, small children crying out because of pain. And they remind them, you know why? You're going to become a king tomorrow. You cannot expect an easy life. You have to be trained. It makes perfect sense to the first century people when it says that God disciplines you so that he is treating you as sons, as children so that you would be solid. I remember what uh, Charles Spurgeon said many, many years ago. It's still there in my mind. He said that God chooses his best soldiers from the highlands of affliction. People who are deeply hurt and afflicted and gone through pain, God gets his best soldiers from those highlands of affliction. Brothers and sisters, if you are not experiencing God's discipline, you know what is a sign of it? You are illegitimate. You know what in Greek it actually is? Bastard. Bastards. You are bastards, he's telling. You know what is a bastard? In Greek, bastard, or even in English, is someone who is born not out of wedlock. Legal marital relationship. They're not born out of it. We heard a lot of time, bastard, bastard, but never understood that. You only see it as if you know, it's a very abusive word. But it is a person who is born not out of wedlock, but from a concubine or a female slave. Bible says that if you don't go through this hard discipline God is giving you, then you are bastards. You're not God's children. I love to be God's child. I don't want to be a bastard. An illegitimate child. No way. I want God to treat me as his son. And God says, son, if you want me to treat you as my son, you know what it costs? I have to train you, not punish you. It's not about punishment. It's not about afflicting. It's not about that. I want to train you. I want to make you mature. I want to, sh I want to see that you grow in holiness, mature, strong in your life. And for that, I have to take you through hard times. Are you willing to go through it? Are you willing to face it? It says here that Raymond Brown, he says, Bible commentator, the person who has no experience of the Lord's discipline may well question whether he truly belongs to him. If you have no discipline of the Lord, question whether you truly belong to him. Our adoption into the family of God will bring not only privilege and security, but adversity also. Hear this again. Our adoption into the family of God will not only bring privilege and security, but adversity also. How many of us see honestly, brothers and sisters, examine your heart. How many of us honestly see God's love in the pain that we go through? Be it sickness, rejection, loss, whatever it is. Lord, thank you so much for loving me. I worship you for this. 
you would not see that people generally saying that and i want to tell you remind you brothers and sisters discipline is not god's wrath in your life discipline is not god's hatred in your life that wrath christ bore for our sins 2000 years back he bore god's wrath and he died for our sins on the cross so that all who believe in christ need not go through the wrath of god and face eternal condemnation and if there is anyone here who is not a child of god who does not belong to god who has not experienced the love of god but is an object of god's wrath because of sin or i tell you that christ died for your sin and he bore the wrath of god if you repent and believe in him you don't have to face his wrath and all those people who believe in christ and have become the children of god they never bear god's wrath but only god's love grace and mercy even in the utmost pain and unbearable burdens of your life that is not god's wrath and god's hatred god is saying through that you are my child you are dear to my heart and i love to afflict you because i know what i can make you out of this mature patient steadfast holy because you are my child do you see my love in the pain that you are going through shall we all rise and off it and think about what we have heard the display the motive the goal the process and the next sermon will be on the response if there are any any misunderstandings about god please remove that god is love god is kind god is gracious and as we stand and pray i would love you to sing this song once again from your song sheet i intentionally put this song this is one of my favorite hymns god moves in a mysterious way and if you understand the depth of the words here brothers and sisters you would be amazed he says here in the first stanza that in the in the storm you are not seeing it footsteps in the sea storm speaks about suffering you may not see him but he is working mysteriously to accomplish his will and then he says here in the third stanza that the clouds you so much dread you are so much afraid of pain and suffering but god's mercy is bigger than that and blessings are hidden behind it and you know what i like is in the third stanza but trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence you know frowning speaks about behind the angry face of god did you see it looks very angry god is so angry beyond the frowning providence he hides his smiling face because he knows that later it reaps useful fruit of righteousness and share in his holiness and i love also the words here the bud may have a bitter taste did you ever taste a bud is it sweet it's very bitter but when it ripens so sweet life is hard when you go through it but as god works and bears fruit you will be amazed so what he finally confuses for, for, sorry what he finally says is that blind unbelief is sure to err if you are unbelief you're going to err you are going to go wrong way you want to understand his work you scan his work if you want to see his work you will be working in vain you can never understand the words of god and it says here finally god is his own interpreter and he will make it plain be patient he's the rod of affliction thank you lord for revealing yourself who you are 
truly you are the God of mystery, whose wisdom is unfathomable, whose ways are inscrutable. O Lord, you are beyond what we imagine or think. We can never ever scan your word and come to a conclusion and say, Ah, now I see. O Lord, help us to trust in you. Help us to rely on you. May we not judge you with our feeble sense. May we not focus on our personal comforts and desires and dreams and security. May we look at life. May we look at afflictions from your divine perspective. O Lord, you're pleased to give us your grace. And thank you so much, O Lord, this morning. Maybe we have never said that to you, O Lord. Maybe this is a time for us all to say that in the deepest afflictions that we go through. Lord, thank you for treating us as sons and daughters. Thank you, Lord, for your love towards us. Because your goal in your love is not to make us feel good. It is to make us good. And we praise you for your objective plans and purposes for us. You are not like us, led by emotions and feeling and limited sense and knowledge. You are the God who knows all things and who can do all things. And who can use all things for your glory and for our good. Lord, we thank you so much for this wonderful passage through which you have spoken to our hearts. Help us to reflect and grow and grow stronger in our faith and not let anything to make our faith weak. But use everything, O Lord, to build our faith stronger in you. Grow in our love for you. Grow in our obedience to you and be conformed to the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Once again, we thank you and we confess and we declare this morning you are the God who loves and your steadfast love endures forever. Thank you for your discipline. In the name of our Lord Jesus, we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com I repeat c-s-t-e-p-h-e-n-d-a-v-i-d at gmail.com Grace and peace be to you.